You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Four Color Omnath is the best deck in modern, locked in battle with Is It Murktide and Living End. What makes Omnath tick, and what would it take to challenge it? Today we take a look at the state of brewing in modern, with a look at six spicy 5-0 decks to restore your faith in the heart of the cards. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show! Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online. I'm joined today all the way from Argentina. You know him as More to Light. It's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome. Hey, hey Dan. How is it going? Been a while. Been like a week. That's not that much. And what a week it has been. You know, we just had the summer solstice, longest day of the year here, and like... I don't know. I always feel like really sad after that. Why? Just because the nights are getting longer? Nights are beautiful. Exactly. I mean, it comes up so soon in what we think of as the summer season. Like, technically, it's the start of summer. But all I can think of is like the steady march towards gloom and darkness. I mean, I see the other way around. I tend to prefer the nights. So whenever the nights get longer, I just get to say, okay, I get to show you. I, I get to enjoy just be, being able to go outside at, at, at ease. I don't know. I, I like it when it's just in, when work ends at around five, six, and it's already getting dark. So I know I'm getting home at the time I should. So in the southern hemisphere, is it like the opposite for you? Yeah, exactly. We have the we had the winter solstice, so nights are okay. so days are getting longer by the day. So my loss is your direct gain. In this case, it's both our losses, but yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's always how it works. We are always on the opposite side, and then our what and, and our toilet water goes on the opposite way. <laughs> so today is our Friday episode, and we're gonna do our little usual weekly check-in, take a look at the goings-on in the world of MTG, and I think today we're gonna focus mainly on modern. We've been doing a lot of Pioneer stuff lately. That's been kind of the hot format, especially for brewing. And of course, David Robertson, who is not with us today, is a Pioneer fiend. But when David is away, we can like quietly talk about some modern. We can discuss some modern. I was looking at the Discord <laughs> the other day and they were like, we know David has not seen modern in a while when he uses phrases like recently and banned Nagatl. I mean, anytime the words wild Nagatl leaves his mouth, you know he's just memeing, but... <laughs> But that is a true assessment of how he thinks about the format. <laughs> and Final Push, the best card in the format. Oh, the old, old days when black was a playable color. So what's happened to modern? I mean, this is the question. Like, what's happened to modern? So we're going to dig into all of that. Talk about the top decks. Talk about some brews. And we'll hear from more because you've been grinding away. You put up a great result in the showcase yeah. a couple weeks ago. Um, so I want to hear all about that. But before we dive in to the main topic, let's just do a little housekeeping right off the top. We do have a couple of new patrons that we want to welcome to the Faithless family. 
They are Gregory S. and Joshua E., who's gone up a pledge in their support. Thank you very much to both of those individuals. We really appreciate that. As always, if you enjoy what we do here at the podcast, the best way to show some support is by joining our Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Make a pledge at any tier you are comfortable with, and you will get access to our Discord community. Wonderful place. As well as other rewards like merch. We have playmats, we have tokens, and all that good stuff. Exactly. I think, however, the two most important aspects for anybody not looking for actual merch is access to the Discord where we have a lot of fun discussing every single build we go through and everybody's just lovely in there. Alongside, what else can be more beautiful than voting for your card to be the next card that we work on and suffer with? I've been having a blast with these cards. Uh, I talked last episode about <laughs> my first two attempts at Ginny Fey in Modern, that league that I was describing where I was 3-0 with the Gingerbread Cabin Galazeth Prismari deck. It was such a heartbreaker, because I, I got to 4-0, I got to... That's the most devastating result. The fifth round, I like won the first game against like a weird Bant Infect deck, and I'm like, oh, this is perfect, I have four red and six, I got all the spot removal, Like this is going to be the most beautiful 5-0 in the dump, and then it I wasn't. instead got <laughs> Ink Moth Nexus <laughs> twice in a row. <laughs> they had Distortion Strike, there was nothing I could do. Distortion Strike! Modern staple distortion strike, clearly. That's the card that yeah. just gets you. Yeah, but it's been awesome to just uh, see the cards people are proposing. Uh, we've been featuring some of the runner-up cards. We talked about Reality Chip last week. Yeah. And I think Emmy and I, we're going to talk about Moderation, another one of the top three finishers in Monday's show. Exactly, because we have to be moderate even in our decision-making. <laughs> and not go off the handle with our brewing. All right, so housekeeping out of the way. What else is going on, I mean? Okay, so modern. What used to be the Bastion, the Bastion format for a lot of people a few months back has gone a bit of the handle for what, for what used to be the most players. Because with Moderations 2, modern experience like a soft reboot, as to say. Like, the whole format just got scrambled and revealed once again from scratch. And while most people will argue that the rebuild structure was actually quite good and the format is quite balanced, it looks nothing alike what it used to do a few months ago. Uh, actually, it has been a year since Photoresons 2, but quarantine time is strange. But a year ago before MH2. So this is like modern 2.0, modern 3.0. Yeah. I, I don't know what version of the Matrix we're on right now. But we now live in a version of the Matrix where you either play cards from these last sets or you are completely off-meta. Like, even your off-meta decks will feature cards from the new sets. Because they need them to keep up with the power level of the format. I am getting a sense of deja vu here. I saw a black cat and another one just like it. <laughs> I feel like we're often saying, you know, modern has become all about MH2. Before or after the Luris ban, whatever it is. Is there any way out of this? I mean, like, the current malcontent with modern is about, you know, what the decks that happen to be the best right now, and you'll you know, you'll lead us through them in a second, but like there's no new tech in these decks, right? It's just like the good cards at the top shuffling them around. Yeah, and I don't think there's a way out because they don't isn't being considered a mistake nowadays, right? 
which is something we discussed like a few weeks ago. For them, this is actually what they were aiming for, and it has worked. They instead of trying to fix the previous modern format, they just said let's build let's build a new one, and the new one is balanced. At least, a lot of people will say it's balanced. A lot of people will hate them. Decks in the top tier, but I think that the complaints are what is always there, right? Whenever there's two or three decks that are better than the rest, people will complain. And it always happens. It just takes a while for the but to settle and the best deck to be found. I think there's always a best deck, there's always or two or three decks that are above the rest. And people will always complain about that. Because people love complaining, I guess. Pre-MH2, pre it was the Iset Prowess decks with Manamorphos and Lava Dart. Before that, it was the Bastet decks from MH1 that got banned as time went on. It started with Hogak, it developed into Ursa, it developed into Uropiles, it developed into the Bannings, which led to Prowess con conquering everything, which led to MH2, which led us to where we are now. And every single spot in that time, people were complaining. Oh no, Hogak is Bastet. Oh no, Uro is Bastet. Oh no, Ursa is Bastet. Oh no, Lava Dart is Bastet. MH2... Complaints stopped because it was a whole shakeup, right? Nobody knew what was good. How long did it take for for Folklore Yorion to become a deck, even when all cards were present? So that is the current scourge of the format, if I'm reading the chatter correctly. Yeah. And I think that's a mixture of two, of two things. So nowadays there's three top-tier decks. Four-color mid-range, which beats Burgtide and lost to Living End. Murktide, which beats Living End and loses to Four Color, and Living End that loses to Murktide and beats Four Color. It's like a small triangle of decks that just face against each other constantly. Each one is good against another and bad to another, and that's sort of what keeps the format in check, right? No deck can get ahead because if there's too much Four Color, Living End pops up. If there's too much Murktide, Four Color pops up. So was it three weeks ago, when the, or two weeks ago, they banned... Winota and Expressive Iteration and Pioneer. And at the time, they included their little assessment of the modern yeah. health check, if we call it that. They singled out, is it Murktide as the most played deck at 10%? And they said 50% win rate, strengths and weaknesses, and 10% is not that much. Yeah. They didn't name the other decks beyond that. They did name rogue decks as a, as a large group they said that you're we're still seeing plenty of rogue decks and that is the part that on the one hand that has always been true of modern yeah on the other hand when i go through the results like i've been you know going through pretty much every 5-0 dump for the past month in both modern and pioneer i don't see that in modern like i see some rogue decks but they don't feel that new i think the issue is what do we consider a rogue deck like, a lot of people will complain that 80% of the time they will be facing multi living end or four color elementals. That's not true. It's just that people don't remember the Yogmoth they face in that league, the Amulet Titan they face, the Burn. Because, let's say, in every single league you play nowadays, you're going to face, in two games, one of the three top decks. And the remaining, let's say you play four leagues, you play 20 games. Eight of those games will 100% be against Living End, Four Color, or Murktide, some combination of them. The other 12 will be 12 one-off decks. It will be Yogmoth, Burn, Hammer Time, 
Death Shadow, Asorius Control, Tron, Affinity, Shun, Amo the Titan. All of which are tier 2 decks that exist in that stratosphere in the meta. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm kind of responding to is when I look through and see decks like that in the league dumps, like those don't feel like brews to me. Like those feel like they are not brews. They are not original. Okay. They're not the top tier, but like there's 20-ish known decks in modern. I think what has happened is that slowly all those decks that were brews have slowly assembled into one of those packages, right? Mm-hmm. Decks that could have been considered Bruce at the beginning has slowly... Like, I think the biggest example of that is any any sort of Asmodec or or stuff like Hammer, which have evolved from Bruce or interesting archetypes into one of the set staples of the format. I see. And while the strong Bruce go ahead to become slowly crumble into those real decks... Like, now what? Is Calibrated Blast a Brew nowadays? Or is it an egg? Like, Calibrated Blast is reaching that middle point of... Mm. Also, Tameshi Combo. Those two decks are just in that small place where you're like, okay, I have played against this deck like eight times in the last few months. Is it still a brew or is it just a medium deck, a mediocre deck? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I, I do find myself wrestling with that exact phenomenon because what I like to do is I have a little spreadsheet open next to me and I just grab all the links for interesting decks and make a little note of them. And if I've grabbed a deck two or three times in past weeks, like Tameshi, I'll just like stop putting it in the spreadsheet exactly. after a while. I'm like, uh, you know, it's just Tameshi again. You know, maybe they'll have two or three new cards because they're always trying out a random Sakura Tribelder <laughs> or whatever it is this time. But in the end, it's Tameshi. Yeah. So maybe that's the case where it's it's my fault. Like, I think David put it quite nicely last week he said magic is not designed to be like consumed this much it's better if you just check in on it every now and then I, like wizards does when they decide <laughs> if they want to ban something they're like oh let's check on modern it looks okay to me <laughs> there's new cool new decks i don't agree on that i just think we have reached a point like in the last few sets there has been no back game game breaking cards like mm. after mh2 the only interesting cards have been Ranging from mediocre to good additions to previously existing decks. Stuff like Shredder, stuff like the two mana one, like Smith. We have not seen blow it out of the water powerful cards. Like the most, the closest thing to that have been Possession Otawara, which are supporting supporting actors to other strategies, right? Yeah, I guess I would include Ledger Shredder in that group, but it's not as pronounced as modern. Exactly. Lesser Shredder, Boseishu, Otawara, Wandering Emperor are all cards that are insanely good, but they are just supporting actors to a bigger deck. So what has happened is, since no new stellar additions have appeared in the format, new cards don't deserve their own brew, they only deserve their testing in previous builds. So the only thing that's happening with brewing nowadays, generally, when looking at the five old dumps, is that you will see exactly what you said. Tameshi playing a one-off new card. Or mm. Monoblack Coffers trying their 11th different build with or without Golos. So that's another great example of like, is that a brew? Like, I think I first noticed the Coffers deck four months ago. Yeah. Like a one-off. And I was like, oh, finally, someone's like trying to put the pieces together on Cabal Coffers. I don't remember if we talked about it or not. So I like had made a note. like, oh, we should maybe talk about this deck. And then it started popping up more and more and like streamers were playing it. And 
it's always got a few different you know there's like 15 like slots so there's no there's no consistent build it's not a tier two deck exactly but on the other hand like i don't know is that just like a macro archetype that exists in tier three i i think that's the biggest question like it's extremely difficult nowadays to judge what is a deck like calibrated blast is I think Elevated Blast is more of a deck than Mono Black Coffers, but if you look in Goldfish, it has less of a meta share than Mono Black Coffers, while you consider it to be a more real deck. Hmm. So, you start in that small dance of what is a brew, what is a deck, what is a tier deck, and I think people hate losing to the same stuff a lot. And when the bigger decks in the format are two good stuff piles and a combo deck, it means if you're trying to play what most people love in Magic, which is play creatures, develop a board, and win, you're not going to be able to do so. Because you're not going to outgrind for color blink, and you're not going to outcombo living end. So nowadays, your deck has to be built in mind with what I think is the key aspect of why people hate in modern. You cannot beat Murktide and four color with any deck. There's no single combination of cards that can beat Murktide and can beat Four Color because they work on such a different axis that to beat one, you have to lose to the other. And most people would prefer to beat Murktide because most people prefer to play a more fair game or mid-range plan with removal and stuff. And if you're trying to beat Four Color, you're not trying to play a normal game of Ashi because you're going to lose at that. To beat Four Color, you have to play stuff like Living End. All right, well, let's just start with four color. I mean, I think we have to yeah, yeah. pay our dues. So four color mid-range and its different set of combinations nowadays are like three key builds. All of them sum up, take around around a 10-15% of the meta share. If you consider four color delirium, four color bling, and elementals as the same deck. I do consider them the same deck. I mean... When I saw Elementals, I thought, oh, thank goodness someone's playing the Elemental Tribal deck, but it's not the Elemental Tribal deck. It's the four-color Yorian mid-range deck with Risen Reefs. Uh, yeah. The thing is, it's like an spectrum, because you have, yeah. you're have you going to find builds. I think there's a point where they should be taken as different builds because they operate as different builds in like the gameplay they have. Elementals has a 0% against Living End. While it has a 100% against Murktide. So it's like, how willing are you going to lose to combo? And that's generally the bigger difference. Like, how prepared are you for the mirror and against the bad matchups? You will have the full-on elemental builds that are actually like real elemental tribe with Yorion that are going to have Eladam Skull, Titanias, Furies. They're going to have... They're actually playing an elemental stack almost. They're going to have Fury, Solitude, Omnath, Titania, Eladam Riskol, alongside, alongside the Recent Reef, and nowadays, a lot of the time, alongside the Vivian combo, which is like the, hmm. new, the new flavor of the month a lot of the time. Also, they're going to be playing Oath of Nisa over Abundant Growth. They're going to be playing a lot of main deck endurances. And they're not going to be playing iter um, Iteration. Okay, so you, you consider that like... A significantly different core. I'm not sure it's significant, but I do consider they play differently as someone who has played a lot of both. In that against one of them, your spot removal is useful. Against elementals, your spot removal is gonna do something. But against four color mid-range, mm. you're only gonna be able to target a quadl, an omnath, or a solitude. 
which are never good targets. And only on your turn, because you're <laughs> shut up by Teferi. Because right Teferi now. is Teferi. And it's going to have a much better top deck mode, because they're going to have access to expressive iteration as a full playset. So you are typically playing the non- non-elemental yeah. build. I'm on the school that expressive iteration is a better kind of decent reef. The huge advantage of the elemental spell is generally Cavern of Souls. Access mm-hmm. to Cavern of Souls is what takes you to that side because it makes sure your matchup against Murktide is like as 80-20. The only way you lose to Murktide is once they start countering your solitudes, and if that doesn't happen, you're not losing. Murktide just can't generate 20 damage without the dragon, basically? Yeah, they need... The way you lose to Murktide is when they get like a turn for Murktide plus counter spell. Or like a turn one spell pierce into a ragavan that goes away. If you can just protect your creatures with a cavern, you're winning that game 100%. Hmm. On the other side, you have the four color build or the delirium builds, which are a lot more susceptible to counter spells due to lacking like the caverns, but have access to better tools to fight against living in. The matchup is not as bad as it is because of access to main the counter spells and better ways to find an endurance, for example. And they also tend to triumph in the mirror because they have more easier access to Emrakul, which is the mirror breaker. Emrakul, the promised end, is the best card for the for color pile mirror or matchup. So let's talk about that delirium package. That kind of came out of nowhere. It surprised me. It's been like what a couple months now, a month since people have really gravitated towards this traverse package. You played this. You got top thirty-two in that showcase challenge two weeks ago. Yeah, the Lillian package was an idea from Antoine57437, who is a French player that has been playing that package for at least half a year. Every single time I have discussed it with him, I have said he was insane because I didn't like the decklist he was building. You can go back to January when he was playing one Utopia's Pro main deck alongside two Ragavans, one Quarrel, and stuff like that. And nowadays, you go to his decklist, like I'm opening the decklist right now, and I, just by reading you the cards, he now has one dress down, two strip wraith, and one nimble obstructionist in the main deck. <laughs> Is this the same Antoine57437 who always played Ether Vial Collected Company? That's exactly the same, Antoine. For like three years? Yep. So even he has given up on his old brain. Exactly. He's like, hey, I gotta play Yorian for color pile. And he's, he's the one that came up with the Delirium package. Like, that's all his. Alright, so in order to play Traverse the Ulvenwald, you do need your four types. So you are playing Mishra's Bubble. You're playing Mishra's Bubble. Nowadays, the new addition has been Street Wraith. A lot of the time. Some numbers of Street Wraith in the main deck, because we are just saying we are not going to beat Burn. So I'm not even going to try. Or you could traverse for Omnath faster against Burn. Yeah, so you're willing to pay two life to do that. And I think the biggest upside of this deck is how favorable the matchup becomes in the mirror when you have access to Six or Simana and Rakul the Promisen. Yeah, so the mirror, I assume, would just be devastated by taking control of their turn. The more cards your opponent has, the more punishing Emrakul is. Right? Like, the longer the game goes, the more punishing an Emrakul can become. And Antoine has gone as insane as to play a Cyborg Sundering Titan. Oh boy. <laughs> we have gone full loop. The four color deck is the one casting Sundering Titan now. So, in order to make room for these Delirium cards, I mean, what are we giving up? 
I see there's no counter spells in this package. There's no Ragavans. In my version, there's no four counter spells because I'm not a fan in most versions of the decklist, but most people playing Delirium are on four counter spells. What you go down onto are the Ice Fang Quartles alongside Ephemerates, generally. Okay. You lose your two drop creatures alongside, and you only play one or two Ephemerates alongside a single witness. And that's it. The rest of the spots are dedicated to the Traverse package. And I think actually more important than Traverse is actually Unholy Heat. Having a constantly active Unholy Heat has been one of the most important parts of the deck. And I think it was... There's another really known four-color player whose name I can't remember now. He's also a streamer. And he got top 8 the other day playing a version of the Lydium package, which is still playing the 26 lands and 4 Travers is on 29 lands and 2 Travers, saying the exact same thing. The most important part about the Lydium is having a f- 6 damage and Holy Heat on this deck, which is insane. Hmm. Whenever you cast Unholy Heat and it's like a 1 mana deal 6, it's so amazing in the mirror being able to deal with the opponent's Teferi without tapping 3 mana as a sorcery. Or a Brennan 6 and such without wasting your Prismatic Ending. And that was always possible before, but it just took a lot longer. Like There was no guarantee your Unholy Heat was active, but you still played it. Yeah, or you played Bolt a lot of the time, or just play March because of how hard it was to get the Lydium. Getting the Lydium without mm. the Mistress and without like having other cards. So a really common play with this deck is putting your Abundant Growth on a fetch land so you can fetch it later and get an enchantment in your graveyard whenever you need it. And there's little upside to that if you don't have enough payoffs to do it. But once you have enough payoffs alongside Enracul and Holy Heat and Travers, it becomes a lot of higher upside play. Interesting. Yeah, it's weird how important Abundant Growth has become to not just like the function of these decks, but also like the, the turn-by-turn tactics. Yeah. I mean, it's what it's what we have after we lost Astrolabe, right? It's our sweet new baby. <laughs> We miss Astrolabe, so we play with what we got. It's Astrolabe at home. The thought did cross my mind that, like, if they had to target this deck, like, would would they ban Urian, or would they be like, oh, we should just weaken it. Let's take out Abundant Growth. <laughs> so, I, I agree nowadays with the fact that the best decks in the format are Murktide and Four Color. I don't think Four Color is better than Murktide. I just think before because Four Color beats Murktide, people think that. But I do agree that those two decks are better than whatever you can, whatever else you can do in the format. Hmm. So how do you target those decks? Like regarding, they, they are going to keep seeing the most play, and people have been saying unban stuff like Deathrite Shaman, and I'm like, you can't unban anything <laughs> without making four color better. That's the biggest problem. You can't give good cards in a meta with good cards to a deck that's just good cards. The only reasonable unbans are combo unbans, stuff like Seething Song. Mm. But then you have a whole new problem, which is we have Seething Song in the format. So you cannot give fair cards to a fair pile and hope it will work out. You can't just say, okay, let's unban Twin, because you either end up with Murtai Twin or Four Color Twin. You can't just say unban Derhai Shaman, because then you have Four Color Derhai Shaman. Unbans are not going to let you that way. Well, then I have to ask you the question you don't want to me to even speak into existence. Never. But No, <laughs> I don't... Okay, would this would this deck be as good as it is on 60 cards? Like, if you just ha- could only play 60, no more companions for you, 
I think if you ban Yorion, the deck still is extremely good. I don't think it's enough to destroy to remove the deck from the format. I think if you want to completely revamp modern, you have to lose three bans. That's the bigger problem that you have nowadays. Three bans? Because you can't just target four color. If you only damage four color, Murktide takes over the format completely. Like, absolutely completely. And people say stuff like, okay, let's ban Express Iteration and hit both four color and Murktide, but then you borderline kill Murktide and Elementals just keeps playing recent Reef and being like, I saw nothing. I did nothing. <laughs> I, nothing happened. So you need to hit for color and you need to hit Murktide in a way that severely damages it as, as well. And I think like the best ban to actually damage for color is Brennan 6. But they're not banning Brennan 6 because it hits a lot of the meta. Like I don't think banning Omnath kills the deck at all. But I think it should be the ban if you try to just nerf it enough that you don't have to actually kill Izzet prowess. Like if you just try to damage the deck, it's likely killing Omnath. So you're dodging my question then, what about just killing the Sky Noodle? I think killing the Sky Noodle is to roughly the same spot. I mean, you're saying that hurts 4-color, so then you also take out Iteration to hit No, no, I don't think, I just X. don't think it hits, it, it damages 4-color enough. Like, it would, be a, an, it would be a ban that would lead to another ban down the road in a few months. Because the biggest problem nowadays is every single card you print is better in 4-color than in anything else. Remember how we started talking about, well, new cards just find a new home? Every single good card you print might find a home in four color. Yes, but that's because there's 20 extra slots for them to find homes in four color. Like, I feel like if four color only has 60 slots to work with, it would just be like a known configuration. There would not be like, oh, did they have Regavan or not? I mean, you'd just be like, okay. It would likely, but the thing is, if any card becomes better than a previous one, it will take its spot in four color. So every single time a deck gets an upgrade, so will 4C. I think that's the biggest issue at hand. People hate losing against Yorion the uh, against the four color decks because A, they're just playing the same cards you're seeing in other decks just together, and the games take are as low because people don't know when to concede. So you're saying that the card that actually makes it possible to just play a pile of the best cards in four colors is Renan 6. Yeah. I think with I I would say something as big as saying without Renan 6, the deck wouldn't even play Omnath or Expressive Iteration likely. Okay. I don't think you play oh. I don't think you play Red without or you splash or in the elementals version you do, but hitting Renan 6 is forcing the deck to increase the amount of land significantly while losing their biggest pressure. Because you win a lot of the games just by going turn to Brennan 6 and forcing your opponent to make a proactive play while they want to just react because you were able to stick a 2-mana wink on in the board. In the board. Heaven forbid that uh, AD card deck has to play 30 lands. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're playing 27 lands in your last... Th that's so offensive. And Twan plays 26. The fact uh... you can get away with playing 26 lands in an AD card deck that has a 13-mana creature in it you should be ashamed of yourselves no, you should actually know. be ashamed of yourselves you're playing a 13 mana creature in your 26 land deck and you're getting away with it <laughs> and that's what I, that's the pro i think brennan six is the most powerful card in the format and the problem is mm. it's like an 
how many games have you lost to Omnath? Like just opponents, you're like almost getting there, you're getting there, you're getting there, and your opponent just sticks an Omnath fetches, and you're like, okay, I'm dead. Omnath is such a visible payoff that people tell when they just lost to Omnath. You cannot tell when you lost to Brennan Six. You have no idea the number of one landers I have kept with a traverse and just get my eighth lander by turn eight and win. And the number of games I have considered to turn one Inquisition or Brennan Six. Because it's not that it's not that visible, it's not that powerful looking. Right? Just if Brennan Six said draw a card, people would say it's would have it already banned, and its effect it's like 95% of that. <laughs> we used to say this about Jace the Mind Sculptor back in the day. Like, when Jace is down, people don't realize that they're already dead, right? Because yeah. they're just brainstorming a couple times. Nowadays, that sentence sounds like a joke, right? But it happens on turn two. <laughs> they play their draw a card, planeswalker on turn two. And it's like, well, there's no point attacking that. Like, I can't kill it. So, might as well just let them have. An extra land every turn. And people don't realize how... I mean, you realize it. But once you're on the other side, once you're casting Renan 6, you realize, I really need this Renan 6 to survive. Like, my opponent has yes. no idea how afraid I am of something happening to this Renan 6. Yes. And that's a key aspect of it. They have said this a lot. The, a lot of the... The mirror is... This is like... When you play a four-color mirror, there's two turns that matter. Turn two and turn a million. In the turn a million, you fear the Emrakul. On turn two, it's Brennan six. Everything else is everything else in between is just filler. It's fluff. <laughs> but a turn two Brennan six is the most powerful playlist they can make, and there's a reason for that. The card is insane in what you're trying to do, and you get away with playing so few lands that when you enter top deck mode, you're always ahead because you're playing the amount of lands an aggro deck should be playing. So your top decks become insane. Well, now you have me seriously wondering if this card is going to get banned. I was going to finally actually buy the rest of the cards that I'm missing. Like, I only had the one copy from MH1. I missed my window to buy them at, like, whatever, $50. They're getting reprinted in Double Masters 2022. Yeah. They're, like, a somewhat affordable now. I could finish the playset. So what I, what I, what I think is that the format shouldn't take any bannings nowadays because I think the format is in a good spot. The problem is... Losing to control decks is a lot more aggravating than losing to aggro decks, right? When aggro is popular, people mm -hmm. hate it a lot less because at least when you lose to aggro, you lose fast and not to your opponent going A plus Brennan 6 for the 11th time before I get an emblem and bolt you out of the game. Mm. Like, you have seen me play games where I just let my opponent get infinite life because I cannot bother myself to use a bolt on a spike feeder. When I have the bolt, I just would rather not use it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, losing to four color is more aggravating than losing to aggro. And there's also the Yorion effect, that people hate Yorion because it goes against that dogma of magic that has too long been implanted in everyone. How many times I have, have I heard the phrase, you top deck your one of in 80 cards? Or look at how well you top deck even with 80 cards, and it's like, the difference is like 10%. You didn't realize I top deck 10% less because... The difference in one in a thousand and one in a and one in eleven hundred, it's irrelevant to our minds. We cannot tell the difference in our tilt between something that happens one in a thousand and one in eleven in eleven hundred. It's the same. But the tilt is bigger because you know the chances were lower. 
Well, for me, it's that they got this extra creature that they just put in their hand and often didn't even cast. They just pitched it. A hundred percent. But that will still happen with Kahira. That's also very annoying. I mean, that's, yeah, that's that companion tilt. Like, the death of Yorion just moves the deck to Kahira in 60 cards. It doesn't do anything else. All right, so I want to step back for a second and just, like, talk about what you consider the top of the format. You said... Is it and four color are locked in this yeah. battle, right? It can only be disrupted by a combo, which right now a graveyard combo with living end is the best one. Yes. When I look at a high level modern tournament, right? What do people actually choose? So there was a champion showcase this weekend, right? This is one of the premier events on Magic Online. Only eight players. You can you have to qualify through a very long process. Yeah. Tiny fields. One of the formats is modern. What did the competitors choose? Well, of the eight players, four of them chose four color. Slight variations in their builds, but four color. Yeah. Two chose deck that beat combo, and two chose combos that beat four color. The combo of choice was actually not living end, but no. they went with red green titan shift. So two weeks ago, I faced Will Kruger on titan shift in a league. And I sent the picture to a group and everybody was like, why are you complaining? It's Titan Shift. It's an old deck. And I was like, I think the chance of me beating Titan Shift with four color is exactly the same chance of me going out and winning the lottery right now. <laughs> if there's a matchup in the history of Magic that has been closer to a 0-100, it has to be any deck I play with value against a Balakut deck. A real Balakut deck, not like a Dryad Balakut deck. Like a Balakut deck. A real Valakut deck, yeah. I mean, when I was first getting into Modern, that was like one of the decks you feared. Yeah, and you cannot... <laughs> There's nothing I can do. They just played Escape Shift and I just died. You cannot win that deck, ever. Ever. You have Contraspell, you are going to lose to Fetchlands. You have Removal, you already lost to the ETV. You have Spreading Seas, they have more Valakuts. You are not winning that matchup. Yeah, they're playing four copies of Wish in their main deck. And the Wish is amazing against four color because what are they going to do to stop it? So Wish lets you play any card from your sideboard for the rest of the turn. So they keep a Valakut in the sideboard, they keep two escape shifts in the sideboard, and various other hate cards. They, they have zero shift main decks, which is really interesting. Oh, I didn't realize that. Zero escape shifts in the main deck? Yeah, because you need seven lands to escape shift, and wish plus shift is seven mana, so you just go like, if I can eat seven lands, why not just wish for it? Because it's going to be seven mana. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So they're on zero shift main deck and only the prime times in the main deck as well to get those palagots going. So these two players, Will Krieger, yeah. who ended up winning the event, and Stefan Schultz, Identical lists, they must have concluded that most likely half of the field will be on four color, and this deck crushes four color. Yeah, and it's not even close. Why did the other two players bring Grixis Death Shadow? And I say that with an asterisk because it's not really a Death Shadow deck anymore. Yeah, it's a Lecter's Flutter deck. So they were expecting someone to bring combo to it for color. So they took what was at the moment the evolution of Murktide to beat those combo decks. Because this deck has a worse like, matchup against random feel, but it's a bit better against four color than Murktide and is equally capable of dealing with combo. So they were like, okay, with this I can fight those combos that are going to try to fight the four color. 
So what happened to Death Shadow? I mean, I look at the Death Shadow list now and I see three copies of Death Shadow, four copies of Ledger Shredder, zero Street Wraiths, zero of these cards that I think of as like, oh, you're trying to enable Death Shadow. Giganta, no, Street Wraith is Giganta. Yeah, there's, they have Giganta now, but it's like, it's just like, okay, I'm not trying to lower my life total at all. Right? I'm playing Thought Seize because of, I like Thought Seize, but beyond that, you know, I'm just going to play Magic. Yep. Double spell, triple spell every turn, and at some point I'll be low enough that these death shadows become very efficient. When the best deck in the meta features four solitudes and multiple ways to tutor for them, you don't want multiple shadows on the board at the same time ever. Mm, that's a good point. Because even their two for two becomes a zero mana two for even their two, one, what should have been card disadvantage for them all of a sudden becomes a two for two. And I can count the number of times I have my opponent play that choo-choo shadow with the Tarsio board, and I went like, okay, Solitude or your channeler, you go up to 14, shadow dies. And that's, that's nasty. just backbreaking for those decks. <laughs> so you don't consider Death Shadow like a serious contender in the top tier? I think there's a I think there's a spot for decks that hunt on combo decks. I think that spot is better given choosh. To work type. I think the Crisis Laser Trailer deck is pretty insane. I just tend to prefer the Morg type version generally due to how fast it can be. Okay. And it's, I think it's more consistent. Like this one has more insane draws, but I love the consistency in Morg type. Like whenever you play that deck, you know what you're doing and you get to do your thing. It's like so square, it doesn't fail. But yeah, that's what the meta has become nowadays. You have your mid range pile, your combo that hunts it. And your combo hunter. Just each one trying your rock, paper, scissors style of gameplay. Which is a bit, a bit, a bit annoying. That's why I tend to play the full color version that's not elementals. Because if you're playing the elementals version, it's rock, paper, scissors. The, the mm. game gets mostly decided on the start. However, the mold, the, the lithium versions and the more contra spell heavy versions and such play more like old Shan in that. There's no 80-20 matchup. Right, right. You just start getting closer to it. All right, so that's the top tier of modern. What about the state of brewing? I said a little bit at the top about how I'm somewhat disappointed with the state of brewing. That's not strictly true. I mean, when I go through the published list from Magic Online, I do find things. Like I was looking at the league dump from this Tuesday, and I found like five or six lists that, you know... They satisfied me. They they warmed my brewer's heart. I was like, okay, this is a cool list. I'm sad that I don't see it more often. Like <laughs> this is clearly not a tier deck, but I'm glad that people are at least trying this. And I have to say, you know, the leagues are popular. Modern still is still thriving, despite the narrative being a little bit, you know, somewhat malcontent. The number of players in the league is huge. Yeah, challenges are, are always going. Leagues are still. Like, 1,700 active players in leagues is a lot. It has to be one of the highest numbers I have seen. Yeah, so the system seems to be working. Maybe it's functioning as intended. I think that's what I, I think people just love complaining. I think the system is good. I think having decks that are stronger than the rest is good as long as you can play other stuff. Like, I think the problem becomes when those decks are just omni... Like, you just cannot play anything else, sort of like Eldrassi Winter or Hogak, when those decks are just backbreakingly powerful. And there's also a bit of something that I have been discussing a lot with a friend of mine, which is the intrinsic 
variability of a specific deck. When you play four color, you are making a subconscious decision to play less games of magic. You are willing to mulligan to four more, you are willing to lose on the mulligan, and you are willing to lose to just the game itself. Oh, I thought you meant that because your matches no, are going to no, take no. so long, you will just play fewer no, matches of magic. That also as well. Th that's also true. <laughs> okay. There's like there's another difficulty in playing four color, which is this is like a side comment. You need to play fast if you're playing MTCO four color. In mm. the other day, in during the challenge, during the showcase where I got 32, there was a post of someone that that placed a picture of me in the mirror where I timed them out, followed by a comment of someone saying, "Yeah, I also got time out in the mirror," and the, and the other player was also me. <laughs> I and those games were literally in a position where. I was actually speaking with a few friends over Discord during the games, and I was like, okay, I have one game too. I'm not going to win this game because my opponent is trying to win it for some reason. Because they got me on game one, and this was game two, and they were trying to win. So I got ahead and just removed all my stops and held a bunch of removals. And while they tried to win, all I did was not lose. During four oh minutes. Gosh. And I won both games 0-1. I was 0-1 and took both wins. Because I, what? I had the win on game two, but instead of conceding, they just tried to beat me on the game. Instead of deciding, instead of realizing that my avenue of victory had become, I'm not losing. Oh my gosh. And that's like an extra aspect of the deck. If you're going to play four color, you have to play it fast. And the reason why the deck is so powerful is I think, I don't know who said this a few days ago, when you play these sort of decks, it's more important to make a good line fast than make the best line slowly. Hmm. Because you're going to make a decision every single turn, multiple decisions every single turn. And it's better to get really good at making good decisions at extremely quickly pace than making the perfect decision slowly. This is clearly not the deck for me. No, no, and it's <laughs> my old bones cannot click that fast or make decisions that fast. Th that's the bigger problem. But the thing is, you can. But it's really hard to like know you're gonna make a bad decision from time to time and just roll with it, knowing there's there's four possibilities. One is terrible, one is meh, one is good, and one is the correct one. As long as you can find one of those two, you're gonna be fine. This must be even more challenging in paper where there's like the soft clock management of like trying to avoid the draw and you're trying to use up as little of the clock as possible, but your opponent is taking their time, puttering around. In paper, I tend to play extremely fast. Like I tend to play like, I'm sort of the player that goes, um, Winsert, get forest, abundant growth, draw, your turn, and, and all of that while it seems shuffling my deck. And if my opponent says, no, no, go for it, everything, I will call a shot, tell him to still nearby because I'm going to rush through my turns and whenever it's going to take my opponent a turn, I want them to get it, to get to let them know. Because it's a slow deck and it's going to punish you for that. So yeah, if you're going to play four color, rush through the deck, especially on MTGO, where your opponent is going to make you play, play it slow. Today I faced same Hayashi when I was playing a Sorius Control with no Wincons. And he just played two Relic of Progenitus and started activating them every single turn, even targeting himself. So, you might get timed out by your opponent's decision-making. When you're playing these more powerful decks, you have to know you're going to, a lot of the time, not get to play. 
You are not going to mulligan a lot if you're playing mono-white taxes, but your card quality is lower. When you play four color, you're on the complete opposite of that consistency spectrum. You're playing the most powerful cards you can. You're going to the absolute limits of greed so that when it works, it's excellent. The key aspect of it is when it works. You're going to have a much number... And I do this a lot. I mulligan really aggressively a lot of the time. And a lot of people tell me like, but you just lost on turn one because you didn't draw your land. Yeah, but I would rather lose on turn two because I didn't top deck my land than playing this game that I kept five lands and lose on turn 25. That's a key aspect of this sort of decks. And a few days ago, a Mono Blue Temple deck list won a tournament. I don't know if you saw it. Was this the Vendillion click deck? I don't know if it played I don't know if it played Vendillion click. I just remember C Balloon. Oh yes, yeah. So, <laughs> that, that's it. Yeah, four Vendillion click, four Svialoons of Sea and Sky. Exactly, and that's the complete opposite of that spectrum. When will that guy mulligan down to five? And the answer is probably like never. And the number of times you mulligan down to four on four color is insanely high because you are chasing that raw power that comes with really few lands. Relaying on Brennan 6 and having multiple colors of fixing. So when you play those decks and you realize, okay, I'm losing a lot of the games to myself, yeah, it's part of what makes that deck. The amount of greed you have behind some of the decisions gets punished in that point. A lot of the non-games you just don't see not, that, that don't happen. All right, let's shift gears a bit. I do want this to have something for the players who are not going to be playing four-color Omnath Pile and have no intention of buying such a deck. So you mentioned the Mono Blue Tempo deck that uh, I believe a couple players have been picking this up. It was in the yeah. 5-0s yesterday. I think this comes from the M. Hayashi series of monocolor decks. It, this was one of the first M. Hayashi decks. Yeah, it was the Mono Blue of the set. M. Hayashi's decks are, are also one of those. Are they, are they brews? Like, they're just played by M. Hayashi mostly. Or are they M. Hayashi decks? Like, trademarked. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the blue ones are less well-known. Yeah. Because they don't win as much. And you can see why, as, as I read these cards to you. <laughs> There's four Vendillion Click, four Brazen Borrower, four Subtlety, four Svialoon of Sea and Sky. This is the Merfolk Legendary God. Svialoon of Sea and Sky requires other Merfolk to have Indestructible. There are no other Merfolk no. in this deck. Except in the sideboard, you have four copies of Tide Shaper to take out Urza Sagas, maybe to fight against four color or something. This is a three mana three four. Whenever it attacks, you draw a card. That's it. So it's like a glorified scroll thief or something. Yeah, it doesn't have to connect. Right. And it also pitches to force of negation. Yeah. So that's a deck. I have no idea how you win with this deck. Well, the creatures are not impressive at all. So there's 16 creatures. All of them cost three or four. There's four Chalice of the Void. I imagine a lot of the wins come from that. Yeah. Four Counterspell, four Force of Negation, four Spreading Seas, four Dismember. 24 lands, in which you have a decent amount of value. Seven Man Lands. Yeah, the Man Lands are Fairy Conclave, playset of that, and Hall of the Storm Giants. Three Hall of the Storm Giants. Four Blast Zones, because M. Hayashi loves Blast Zone. When you go to the sideboard, you find those four Tide Shapers, you find a couple Torpor Orbs. That's a decent card against four color, I suppose. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's really annoying. And just like random stuff. I mean, I 
I don't know what to expect <laughs> playing against a deck like this, but I do think that Chalice can be quite good um, in, in many matchups, yeah. both against zeros and ones. I think that this deck relies on the power of Chalice of the Void alongside Force of the Nation to keep it going. Speaking of Chalice of the Void, what do you make of the Colorless Prison Tron deck? I mean, this has been going around, it's been like lurking for like a year, but in the last couple weeks, a lot of people are picking this up now. I'm talking about the Tron deck that is colorless. It has the Urza Tron lands. It also plays four copies of Serum Powder so that you can really, really mulligan for the Urza Tron lands. I have seen it. I have actually somehow never faced it yet. I associate this deck with a player Lorawa, um, but I, I saw yeah. Susurus Prison Mike, as he's sometimes known, <laughs> yeah. uh, made top eight this weekend in the, in the Sunday challenge. So the idea is that you're mulliganing really hard for either an explosive Tron start or some key pieces, right? You have Mystic Forge to really go off. You have three ensnaring bridges main plus four Karns to fetch your fourth ensnaring bridge. You have your four chalices, expedition maps. So you're, you're really just trying to assemble a broken mana engine get lock pieces, and then, you know, eventually the opponent should give up. That's the plan. I mean, I, a big part of that is the fact we're playing on MTGO where your opponent is not going to give up a lot of the time. Hmm. So you're going to have to find a way to win. But sadly, I haven't faced the deck yet, so I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. However, I have yet to see the advantages of playing it over, like, real factual Tron. I think it's got to be Chalice. I mean, that's the only card that yeah. really stands out as more powerful than what traditional Tron does. I mean, Kalison 0 is a beating for a lot of decks, and Kalison 1 is a beating against the other half of the decks. I think Serum Powder is also extremely powerful. Like, I used to play the Serum Powder Eldrazi deck, which was terrible, but it was, like, a lot of fun. And just, you know... <laughs> The ability to just like mulligan down to like three or two, looking for that Aldrazi Temple or the Chalice of the Void, it was, it was beautiful, but it just wasn't powerful. Okay, yeah. Unless you had the insane hands, they just weren't powerful enough. And I always wonder why doesn't traditional Greentron at least attempt to play Serum Powder? And I'm wondering if the answer is like there, there's just not enough payoff to like be drawing Serum Powders later in the game. And having Mystic Forges gets around that? Yeah, or maybe maybe it was never tried. Like I think like a lot of magic lies in its consistency of what works first sticks for a while. And I think the biggest example of this, I think I always give the same example, is during a lot of bonds, all the Rhino decks played a single Fladestrand that could get no particular lands instead of the fourth Scalding turn because the person that won the showcase had it on a budget. Followed by Hammer playing four silent clearings in their four prismatic ending deck instead of one of each white canopy. Those are like literally strictly worse decisions. But if it sticks and it works, it's really weird for people to go ahead and try something else. Especially with Tron. Who do you know that likes brewing with Tron? Just Lorawa. That's the only person. Exactly. <laughs> and the guy who plays a. Uh, and the person who plays Blue Tron. <laughs> Trellon or whoever they are. And Trellon. But that's that's Mono Blue Tron, and now he's on coffers. That's like a whole different aspect. Yeah. But that's what I mean. So maybe they should play Serum, and that's why they are doing it now. Just not enough people have done it. The same thing that happened with Delirium for months. 
and a lot of other builds. It just takes a while for people to stick to it. Another deck that really caught my eye features a card that you and I love. The egg. The, egg. the experimental synthamone. Oh, the synthamone. The experiment seven. <laughs> yes, that one. Experiment synthesizer. Synth. <laughs> the synthesizer. Four copies of experimental synthesizer. And I always thought, like, okay, it's an artifact. There's got to be something to do with that, right? Artifact decks can play a lot of zeros and ones. Like, we just got to find the right mix of shrapnel blasts or galvanic blasts or who knows what else. <laughs> so finally, finally, someone is doing this. Actually, it's a it's a pretty known grinder, yeah. Crusher Bot BG, um, in the five O's. They're playing Mono Red Affinity. No traditional affinity cards except for like the cranial platings and the Urza sagas. Memnites, Ragavans, Bomat Couriers, Galvanic Blast, Shrapnel Blast, Lightning Bolt, Experimental Synthesizer, Light Up the Stage, Cranial Plating. For Mithras Factory, at last. That's so sweet. <laughs> at last, a deck that plays Mithras Factory. So between Galvanic Blast, Shrapnel Blast, and Lightning Bolts, you can deal like yeah up to 12 damage to their face depending on what you draw yeah really easily that's a lot of face damage the attacking suite is like a little bit iffy right like mem knights bomat couriers and ragavans i don't know what to expect from this but there's four cranial plating so they're obviously interested in attacking for damage i mean you also have mihra's factory soken sun and then an ursa saga as creature producers last creatures Two copies of Shinka the Blood-Soaked Keep, which only targets Ragavan and Giganta, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> and sometimes Giganta. So I don't know what to make of this deck. I don't know, but it's just nice. And talking about Affinity, Anthony has been killing with it. Yeah, our good friend Anthony Menino. We had him on the cast a couple months back. He keeps sending me lists. Like, a week ago, he was like, I want you to play Michiko, and I was like, you know, we can talk about this. Maybe there's something to it. And I keep getting four ones on the daily. Like, he's doing insanely well with this Asodius Affinity that plays that he calls 8th plating. So, Anthony Manino is I play bad decks on Magic Online. Yes. Um, you can hear an episode that we did with him talking about Crabvine uh, earlier this year. Yeah, he's been sharing his, his successes with us. He finally gotten the five O's. It looks on the surface like the Consulate Dreadnought Affinity deck that was like briefly tried yeah. when like Moonsnare Prototype was first a thing. But there's no Moonsnare Prototypes here. I no. think Anthony has decided that card doesn't do anything. Spring Leaf Rum is plenty. And I, instead, I will splash into white for Machiko's Reign of Truth. So Machiko's Reign of Truth for anybody that forgot, which is I know everybody... Two mana, Enchantment Saga, first and second step, target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. So it's a huge pump to a creature that then transforms into an zero zero that gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. So the first two steps, or it needs ETB, and the next turn it acts like a semi-plating as a sorcery that then becomes an Ursa Saga construct. Yeah, this card dominated Pioneer for like two weeks. <laughs> Like two weeks in the sun. And then Lurus got banned, and then it was. And like... then it was gone. <laughs> Alongside that, it plays the eight cast package of four thought monitors, four thought cast, and the affinity creatures in four form Frogmite and four Sushurner's Companion. Yeah, I mean, you have Mem Memnites, Ornithopters, Frogmites, so you can really have an explosive start. The Consulate Dreadnoughts 
are a bit surprising, right? Like, this is one mana vehicle with crew six. There's no way to actually, like, cheat on this, right? You just have to crew it. I mean, there's a way, or did he remove it? No, he removed it for this version, or he added it later. He was playing the land, the new land. Oh, the uh, mech hanger? Exactly, he was playing one or two mech hangers. And alongside that, he describes the Dreadnought as a pseudo haste for your constructs. Okay. For example, a lot of the time, let's say you have two Mind Mites on board, and you just go and put plating on a Mind Might, tap it to crew a Dreadnought, put the plating on another Mind Might, and then I can attack with both the Dreadnought and the Mind Might with the plating on. So it's like a second plating in that scenario. Interesting. That's a nice way of thinking about it. Yeah, you just move your plating around and crew with the creatures so that you can actually get some value out of the 1 1 that was going to stay behind because you didn't have a plating on it. Great job by Anthony innovating on this. The part that really scares me is this white splash. I don't see that many white sources there here. I see not. four Spire of Industries, four Springleaf Drums, four Urza Saga, which eventually finds a Springleaf Drum, and four Razor Tide Bridge, which comes into play tapped. So if I'm being generous, that's 16. Being really generous. And you do have the Thalcast to draw for, so you don't need it right away. I yeah. guess Machiko's actually gets more powerful the later in the game it is. That has been his argument, that he's going to cast it consistently on turn 3-4 and that's all he needs. Also, congrats to that one Nyx in the cyborg countering Furies when needed. Did you just say Nyx? Like Nyx. Nyx from Future Sight? I just said Nyx, like Nyx from Future Sight. Counter target spell if no mana was spent to play it. All right, take that. Counter Fury, counter Cascade, and pray for the best. All right, um, moving quickly through these last couple lists here. I noticed a deck that was playing Frantic Inventory. Frantic Inventory is basically a reprint of Accumulated Knowledge, which is a card that like dominated my imagination as a child. I, I love that card. Frantic Inventory, one in a blue. Draw a card, then draw cards equal to the number of cards named Frantic Inventory in your graveyard. So the first copy sucks. <laughs> the first copy just replaces itself. But the second copy is a draw two for two. And the third copy is a draw three for two. At instant speed. Yeah. And if you ever draw that fourth copy, it's beautiful. <laughs> have you ever played a Turbo Fogging Popper? I have not. I think you would love that deck. That deck literally plays eight Akus. So. Uh, this this cannot be a thing. Akus? No. We cannot that's, say that's, that. that's how we say it in Spanish. It's, laku, it's Aku. So, okay. for accumulated knowledge. All right, accumulated knowledge. AKs, we call that. So, four Akus. Four frantic inventory, and the wincon of the deck is. Do you remember that card from MH1 that has um, replicate and you shuffle four cards to your opponent mills four? Oh, that was the Sam Black draft special. That's, what was that card called? Uh, let me try and remember. Yeah, there was like this weird draft archetype where you try to get two of those and then just play four colors. Exactly. And that's the literal win con of your deck. You just turbo fog your opponent, you play four AKs, four fronting inventory, fogs, and that's the only thing the deck does, and it has been one of the tier one decks for a few weeks now. Oh my gosh. It seems like such a cave deck. So back to modern for a sec. How do you play frantic inventory? 
basically you, you never want to cast the first copy. It's not a complete disaster, but it's really, really bad. Yeah. So it would be great if you could just like start every game with one or two copies <laughs> in your graveyard. Well, the player Fabi one had this brilliant idea that between Ledger Shredder and Dragon's Race Chandler, I have a very good chance of just like never having to cast the first friend inventory until there's already one in the graveyard. So I just put some of the most efficient is it stuff together. DRC, Ledger Shredder, Ragavan, Lightning Bolts, Unholy Heats, Mishra's Bubbles. No surprises here. DRC and Ledger Shredder is not quite enough to guarantee like milling and looting. So there's also three copies of Fable of the Mirror Breaker in this deck. Okay. I didn't see those. How did I skip over those? That's lovely. I mean, they don't make any sense, right? They're just like chilling in the enchantment section. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just... I mean, I have been constantly surprised by that card in modern nowadays. It's, it's seeing more and more play, and I'm closer to just playing four color with them just to try them. <laughs> and I mean, like the, the big tech, the innovation, the one new card added to four color. It's an enchantment for Delirium. It's an enchantment for Delirium, and you can bounce it with Yurium. No, Fable of the Mirror Breaker has been surprising, and it's been seeing a lot of play mostly in the Glimpse combo, because it allows you to either play a fair game extremely well, and it isn't double red like Season Pyromancer is. Yeah, uh, that seems to be the standard build now of Glimpse. Um, it's kicked out cards like Season Pyromancer. The most shocking thing about this Neo Blue Moon that you love with Fanting Inventory is the fact it's playing Magus and not Blood Moon. Three Magus of the Moon, zero Blood Moon. Why? Any ideas? Ah, uh, Bosatio. Like, nowadays, if you're trying to win games, like, Magus of the Moon has become the best Magus effect, Moon effect against decks that hate Blood Moon. But it doesn't give you the cheese wins. You're not beating four color with a Magus because of Volt, Heat, Solitude, Fury. But it's the best card against deck like Amulet that are gonna rely on stuff like Possession to clear your Blood Moon. So that's, I think, the bigger reason. All right, I just one last deck, Emmy. This one. Please don't say. Please don't say the Ice Nine Special. <laughs> oh, this is this is Ice Nine Special 3.0. I played it yesterday. That's why I say that. Now with Mardu. I went 04. Mardu Ice Nine Special. You tried this list? I went 04. I hate it. <laughs> you mean you couldn't win with Hactos the Unscarred? No, no, the thing is, whenever I play Hactos, it always got a freaking Jew as its protection, and it always got Red and Six Ping. That happened thrice. Three times I play a Hactos, so I want to remind this for everyone that doesn't remember this card. The Achilles from Teros. Four mana, double red, double white for a human warrior that's a 6-1. Hactos the Unscarred has to attack every combat if Fable. When it enters the battlefield, choose 2, 3, or 4 at random, and it gets protection from every single source that's not the chosen, that it seems is not the chosen number. So when you get a 4, this card gets protection from every single card in the format that's not Grief or Omnath. When you get a 3, you get protection from everything but the King Commander and the Fairy. When you get a 2, your creature dies. I always got a 2. <laughs> It got terminated, red board, ping, and fired. I did not realize there was so much removal that has CMC2. Two is extremely common. Three and four are not. Okay. The thing is, this is the literally only creature in the deck, everybody. 
Yeah, so let's talk about the rest of the deck, because Ice Nine Special means many things, but it usually means a red-white land destruction deck that plays a lot of cards in the Stone Rain, Mana Tithe, Molten Rain yeah. kind of space, and no cards that win the game. Like, maybe two Obsidian Charmals or something, or Goblin Dark Dwellers used to be the card. Well, Goblin Dark Dweller was the card of choice a month back. Okay, so Ice Nine is saying... Out with those, we're playing all four copies of Hactos the Unscarred, but the spell suite has elements that are similar, elements that are different. Manatithe, Molten Rain, Stone Rain, all those are here, but now there's also four copies of Vindicate, so we have even more ways to destroy lands or problem permanence. Four copies of Boom Bust, another one of the key land destruction cards, and in order to enable that, we use a combination of Flagstones of Trocare and Indestructible Tap Lands, which also allow us to ramp ourselves with Cleansing Wildfire. So you have four Cleansing Wildfire, four Prismatic Ending, four Lightning Bolts, and a little chef's kiss here, one Invoke Calamity. I never got to cast Calamity. Not once I had either the perfect mana or the possibility of casting it without dying. And the fact it has a second copy on the cyborg I can't justify or explain just steals me even more. I don't know, maybe Ice Nine was like wanted to get in on the Invoke Calamity month. <laughs> you know, just a couple weeks too late. Just a couple weeks too late. Uh, congrats to Ice Nine. I cannot win with this. I have no idea what you did. Like I got demolished every step of the way. Maybe it was just Hactos getting the two. Like, I was playing against Cave Shift. I play a Hactos in this two. My opponent immediately goes red and six ping on a game that took like five extra turns. If I if, if that had survived, it was like a really fast clock. But it was just so morally devastating. It's <laughs> such a flavor win, though, right? Like, it's so Achillean. Hactos the Unscarred. Perfect. <sighs> the card is lovely. I love the design of the card. I just don't like how it makes me feel. I just suffered. Besides that, I want you to talk about one final leg, which is the fact that somehow Bant Soul Herder keeps 5 0 every single week and it makes me really happy. Bant Soul yeah. Herder? Like the, with actual Soul Herder? Actual factual Soul Herder. So, what makes it a Soul Herder deck? What are they doing differently from. They are playing 4 Quattles, multiple Wall of Omens, 3 or 4 Witness, Lagrela, Renegade Rallyer, Soul Herder, Subtlety, Benzer, Solitude. Full playset of Ephemerate, full playset of Counterspell, and generally full playset of oh, Force of Negation, and no Yorion. Interesting. All right, no Yorion. I'm, I'm in for that. <laughs> Look at you, old man. Question for you. Like, were we wrong about Ephemerate? Like, we talked it up for a long time, and then just gradually it stopped being that important. You just saw it getting trimmed. First it was four copies, plus soul herders, then it was just like, oh, just like three ephemerates. Okay, just two ephemerates. The two versions that keep 5 owing, one of the person is one of the these people is Captain Grumblecakes, who is like wiki, wing not, just keeps getting the 5-0. They always play four ephemerates. So they're in the whole playset. And I think that's because maybe it had lost some power, but you if you're playing this sort of deck with solitude, solitude plus ephemerate is such an insane combination. Oh, yeah, I understand why a Soul Herder deck... I mean, if you want Soul Herder, you definitely want Ephemerate. Yeah. But just like other decks, other four-color decks. So in other decks, the removal... People keep playing more and more removal. So for example, like a Smurk deck, you just have to trim all your Ephemerates. And as the meta shifted to a position where 
when the four color blink started to appear, like the decks with the favorite, the meta was still not settled, right? So you face a lot of random stuff. And Ephemerate is good against random stuff. Ephemerate is because it keeps mm. you out to a lot of situations. Ephemerate is a less good when you know exactly what you're going to trade one for one for. Like, Ephemerate is not good against Murktide, for example. Right, right. So that started getting cream in favor of just more consistency. I think it's just the power of the card is there, the situation is not. And with the removal of the combo with Time Warp and such, there's less of an incentive, as they also dream down of copies of Eternal Witness. That makes sense. But yeah, the card is still insanely powerful. So we see the return of some old favorites like Soul Herder, new twists on known shells like 8cast, and even a little mono red affinity. There's still brewing happening in modern. I don't know, how are you feeling about this? Do these lists give you hope? I'm always hopeful. Like, I enjoy just seeing the new iterations of stuff. I think I enjoy a bit more than you seeing how decks adapt in the small changes. I love seeing the tiny tweaks. Yeah, it's definitely a different style of, like, enjoying. And I I definitely, like, do appreciate when I'm, like, deeply invested in a deck and thinking about, like, the last few slots. No, no, but even for other decks, for decks that I don't even play, just... The tiny changes in the mana basis of decks just, I don't know, why the intrigueness of the mixture of why wasn't it fixed before and what happened that led to this, or the small domino effect of the fact that Rhinos gets bigger makes Storm an unplayable deck because now decks are playing Flusterstorm in the sideboard, is something that just, I don't know, I just love that small, you know, the, the things that happen behind the scenes. So I'm always excited for the chances to come. And I think there's always something new coming. I think there's always a new brew. And if not, it's only a matter of time before the new set just comes fumbling everything around. There's always gonna be a there's always gonna be spot for brewing. If not, I don't know how this Selenia Fauna Shaman deck ever won anything. I still don't know it. <laughs> but if this doesn't give you hope, nothing will. Yeah. Gavany Dawnguard. For Gavany Dawnguard, come on! <laughs> Well, all right, we shall end on that hopeful note. I think you said it perfectly. <laughs> That's a look at what's happening in modern right now, both at the top and... In the midway. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to put a number on it. I don't want to embarrass these decks, like <laughs> calling them a certain tier. But they're in the mix. They're in the 5-0s, and that's what matters. They're in our hearts. And they're in our hearts. All right, that's going to do it for us for today. On Monday, we will be back with a little more modern. We'll be taking a look at... One of the cards that finished highly in the voting for last month's project, which is moderation. Exactly. And we'll tell you a little bit about how our testing has gone. Exactly. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a nice night. Bye. Decklist for this episode can be viewed at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in on Monday for testing results with fight rigging, plus new brews with moderation. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.